commit our time to you this afternoon. We pray that you would meet us as we look in your word. We thank you um, that your word is always living, it's active, it's um, reliable, it is true, it is eternal. Oh Lord, we uh, find that hard to comprehend, uh, the living word of God, yet we Praise you that you speak and you continue to speak. And uh, Lord, this afternoon, uh, help us to, again, take hold of your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before we get going, I, you know, some of you, many of you I have met before. And um, but I just want to give you a little bit of my background because it's very different to what Mary said and what Matt Rogers said and what Mr. Newberg. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um I was born in England. When I was nine years old, my family decided to move to South Africa uh, for economic reasons. My parents um, were kind of, you know, we lived right in the heart of London, and, you know, there wasn't a lot of future. Uh, They, at that point in South Africa, they were offering free airfares for families that would come over, good jobs, the potential of buying a house, um... And it all looked real good. Uh, so my family, my parents told us we're moving to Africa, South Africa. And I thought, oh, I, I knew, I thought we were going to live in the jungle and uh, there would be elephants and lions. And uh, we flew into South Africa and uh, I was nine years old and we eventually ended up at the beach. We lived near the beach. And it was awesome. I, I loved South Africa. I loved being there, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, And I didn't really think about God at all. I never went to church, maybe, perhaps, occasionally at Christmas. Maybe we went, I don't remember. But I had no uh, input at all about a God, about Christianity, about anything. Um, However, when I was quite young, and shared my testimony a little bit before, when I was young, living in England, because I remember it was... There was, I'd walk to school and I would wonder, what am I doing on this earth? Um, probably about seven or eight. What am I doing on the earth? Like, who made me? What am I supposed to do? I, I kind of was inside of me thinking about a purpose. Like, I didn't think I just kind of evolved and just kind of happened. I kind of was thinking there must be someone made me or something made me. Like, how, what am I supposed to do with my, what am, what's my existence about? So, I don't know if you ever ask yourself those questions. A lot of times, I've asked that question a lot, and a lot of young people from Christian homes never ask that question, because I think you grow up in a Christian home, which is a good thing. I mean, it's, if you think about it, that is what the Lord would want, you know. He'd want you to grow up with, with the Word of God. So, it's a good thing, Um A lot of young people tell me who have grown up in a Christian home, I wish I hadn't, and I wish I had some radical testimony, and and it would be so much better, but you really don't want that, but um, either way, uh, I had that question in my mind, like, what's, what's the purpose of my existence? Why am I here? Who made me? And so on and so on. Um, and, and I don't want to talk about that too much right now, but at least give you an idea of where I'm coming from. I did get saved eventually at 23 years old. Um, I was in South Africa, and finally, uh, after hearing the gospel a good number of times, um, I understood it. It wasn't that I was so much against it. I just, if I was going to believe, if I was going to turn to God, I wanted to know it was for real forever. 
It was going to be, um, it was going to be something that would be for the rest of my life. And uh, so, at 23 years old, I, I, I came to know, I came to to know the Lord, and my my life uh, changed quite quite a bit. But I say all that to tell you one of the things that was very um, helpful to me in coming to the Lord was if there is a God, then I want to know Him. I understood at least that Christianity, I was told, is knowing God. You can know God. Now, this morning, Mr. Nuremberg spoke about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. Uh, God incarnate. God on the earth. But I, I wanted to know who God is. Who is this one that, that made me? There's nobody better to know. And that's kind of been the, the, the thing that drives my life still. I want to know the Lord. I want to know who God is in an intimate way. Um, and the Old Testament, which I love the Old Testament, because it's full of God revealing who He is. Um, it, he, he shows us, He tells us who He is. As you get into the New Testament, you see uh, more clearly and you understand more of the work of God. But in the Old Testament, you see so much of the character of God. Does that make sense? So on the one side, you have the character, um, who I am or who you are. And then you have what you do, um, and uh, perhaps your profession, and, and, and so on. So you have the Lord, who He is, and what He has done on our behalf. And uh, I want to talk about both those things, but more about who the Lord is. Because I believe, this, and get us to this point here, but I believe if you have a right view of God, and the only way you can have a right view of God is to read the Word of God, uh, because I can tell you about somebody and you can tell me about somebody, but it's much better if that person tells you about themselves. If you read the Word of God, you'll know who God is. And I think if you know who God is, it will change your life. Now, obviously, you've got to deal with your sin and uh, you know, you, we need to surrender our lives to the Lord. But the great adventure is you can know God. You can know the one who created everything. Um, the one who we heard last night was really good, who gives you value, gives you worth, he made you. And you can know him intimately. You can know his person, you can know his character, you can know his nature, okay? And that's kind of what we want to pursue uh, this afternoon briefly. And, and, and again, it's going to be brief. Now, let me put it this way to you. We're not going to try to go around who God is, okay? God isn't this enormous being that we have to try to circumnavigate, you know. We want to start the journey of going into who God is, going into and seeing His heart. We're going into who God is, okay? I want to make that clear as well, um, because that's important. Now, what I want you to do, if you can help me out here while I get ready a bit, I want you to... St- to stand up, everybody stand up. Um, I know you had a, a tough soccer sick, uh, time just now, but stand up, turn around, and back to back with someone. So if, if there's an odd number, you're going to have to figure that out, and I'm sure you can. Back to back, back to back, back to back. There you go. Uh, is there enough back to backs? Anybody not got a back to back? There's a young lady there. There, there you go. Be, be, uh, there you go. Back to back. We good? It doesn't look like you guys are doing too well on the back-to-back there. You, you three over there. Uh, if you, if you have an odd person, you can make a three. There's a, there's a, there's a guy there. Back-to-back. 
Um, let's be some proactive people here. There's still a guy wandering around. There's a guy there, uh, one of the soccer players there. Um, Hudson. Hey, let's move along. There's a guy over there. Yeah, you have to get out, like out of your comfort zone. Let's go. I'm not as nice as Mr. Nuremberg. Hudson, jump up. Come on, you're athletic. Get on the chair. Jump out of there. Let's go. There's a guy down here. Oh, this guy right here. There you go. There we go. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, that took a long time, but that's okay. Um, I, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not as nice as Mr. Nuremberg in this plight. Just do it. Get there. Come on. Get up, stand, get up, climb over the chair, whatever you need to do, but make it happen. All right. Now, what I want you to do is I want you, we're not wrestling. So no, no wrestling. Take, take the arms out. You're all sweaty anyway. It probably doesn't feel good. Um, what I want you to do is I want you to talk at the same time to each other, okay? And I want you to tell each other about your family and about the, number one, about your family. And you got about a minute to do this. And then I want you to, when you run out of things to say about your family, oh man, I got such a great dad. He is awesome. I got such a great mom. And oh, I love my brothers, and which you probably won't say. My siblings, man, I love them. Oh, they're 54 years old, 22. They're from this country. Just tell them about it. They got green hair, blue eyes. Tell them about it. Make it make it last. And then when you run out of things to say about your family, then tell them about your favorite foods, okay? And then tell them about your favorite movie, okay? And keep going for one minute at the same time and try to listen and speak. Go ahead. Gotta talk at the same time. Okay, that's good. Okay, be quiet for a second. Okay, that's good. Everybody, now what I want you to do is um, sit down. So that was pretty awesome, right? That was, that was helpful. That, and, and you know what that's an illustration of? That's an illustration of the fact of that's how life is right now. And how, you know, it's so loud and everyone's talking and you're trying to talk and you're not really listening. And we never know. My point is, like, we need to get quiet. If you want to know who the Lord is, you've got to be quiet. And not just quiet, you've got to stop speaking. Um... And you want to try to, you want to try to concentrate and listen to the Word of God. After this, at about three, you're going to spend a little bit of time uh, on your own in the Word of God. I have, there's some questions at the bottom there that you can think about. But that's kind of our life, isn't it? A little bit. Sometimes some of us shout, "I want to get off, stop." It's so, and and some of us don't like quiet, but like, man, it's just crazy. Now I want you to think now about the quote that's at the top here uh, on that sheet of paper that I gave you. Uh, this is a quote from A.W. Tozer. I think it's super helpful. It says, what comes to mind, what comes into your mind, and I want you to think about this yourself. You know, forget about the people around you. What comes into your mind when you think about God, when you think about who God is, that's really the most important thing about you. Who do you think God is? What comes to mind when you think about God? 
you know, uh, so for a moment, you know, just kind of close your eyes again, just bear with me, don't fall asleep, and um, think, who who is God to me, you know? Is he kind of like a Santa Claus? Is he a harsh kind of headmaster, kind of horrible person? He just shouts at me. Is he kind of all, you know, kind of gooey and sloppy and just does everything I want? Who is God to you? What does the Word of God say? Um, I think one of the main things it tells us, and we'll see that this, mo- this afternoon, is that God is holy. He's like nothing we understand, nothing we can comprehend. Um, and, and again, m- I believe strongly that part of our problem, and it's not just this generation, we were saying in your generation, but in every generation, we have such a low view of God, such a low view of Him. Okay, you can open your eyes. I want you to listen to this with me. Every time I hear it, I've heard, and you may have heard it before, but I've probably heard it more than you, so stay with it. Here's a, uh, um, uh, a short, it's not too long, but this is what the Lord means to this guy. Uh, and uh, this is some time back now. I, I heard it over 25 years ago. And, I, and ask yourself the question, is, is this my God? Is this my king? The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Do you know him? No means of measure can define his limitless love. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. And he's impartially much. Do you know him? He's God's son. He's a sinner's saint. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. Do you know him? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feet. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meat. Do you know him? My king is a king of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, 
I wish I could describe him to you. But he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. But they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah! He always has been. And he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor. And he'll have no successor. You paint him, beat him, and he's not going to resign. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And ever and ever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the vapors, then amen. Okay. Um, let's think about that. Could you say that about the Lord? Could you say that God is your king? I want you to just turn to the person next to you again. And, and I just want you to pray. Um, and just praise God. Don't, don't ask Him for anything. Just Real, um, you know, let's just take 30 seconds each, about a minute. Just give God thanks and praise for who He is, okay? So let's go to prayer. Okay, let's pray. Father, again, we come and we thank you that we can know you. Oh Lord, we cannot know you fully, but we can know you. And we praise you that you've made yourself known. And even this afternoon, as we meet briefly now, that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. Oh Lord, that we would have a high view of the King of Kings, of the God of Heaven. That, Lord, we'd live in light of who you are. Lord, forgive us when we um, forget about you or we have a low view of you. We think we're better than you are or more important than you are. Oh, Lord, we come and pray that you would just meet us to uh, comprehend the greatness of who you are. 
We commit again our time to you and this passage in Isaiah that, uh, again, he was never the same when he met with the Lord. And we pray that we would meet with you this week. And, uh, Lord, we would never be the same. And uh, you would uh, turn our lives upside down and inside out. And that, Lord, we would live in light of who you are and glorify you on this earth. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bible, let's turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to read just a little bit of it, um, and then we'll kind of work through um, (coughs) the sheet that you have in front of you. So Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to read from the NIV. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, this is a vision. He's not actually seeing it. He, this is a vision and he's describing, um, who the Lord is and what he sees. Above him were seraphs. Those are angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces and with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. That's not a good thing. Let me just say that. That's not a good situation. Um, But, It happens. And Isaiah says in verse 5, Woe is me! Um, I cried, I am ruined, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live with uh, among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, or the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, that's one of the angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with throngs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard a voice, then I heard the voice of the Lord. <clears throat> so the Lord speaks. Who shall I send, and who shall go for us? And I said, Here I am, Isaiah says, Send me. And he said, Go, and tell this people. Be ever hearing, but seemingly never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. So we'll stop at that point. Verses 1 to 9. All right, now what we want to think about this afternoon is is Isaiah's vision of God. Because he does describe to us in seven ways some of the character and some of the nature of God. Okay, And as we uh, have on your sheet, what comes to your mind when you think about God is really the most important thing about you. And I think that's true for people that know the Lord. And, and I'm taking it that you're all in here. How much you know the Lord, how well you know the Lord, uh, is, you know, that doesn't matter at this point. But what comes to mind? What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about the Lord? That's really the most important thing about you. Because you will respond, or you will act, or you will live in light of who you think the Lord is. If you think the Lord's pretty good, He's, you know, He's fine. I don't really like him, though. You'll live like that. If you think the Lord is, you know, there to meet all of my needs, uh, you'll live like that. 
you'll live in light of who you think the Lord is. If you think the Lord is holy, uncreated, indescribable, like this man's told us, you'll live like that. So what comes to mind when you first think about the Lord or about God is really the most important thing about you because you'll live in light of that. If the Lord isn't much to you, um, you'll live like that. Now, I'm not talking about sin and uh, repentance. Those are important things and you will hear about them. Uh, and of course, that's the, the way to know the Lord. That all comes first. But once you have come to know the Lord, what do you think about Him? <clears throat> How do you consider Him? Because you'll live in light of who you think the Lord is. So let's think about, um, and I, I, you know, you can jot these down as, as much as you want, but the first four things that Isaiah says are all found in verse 1, okay? And we kind of can walk through that verse a little bit slowly, but it tells us, um, it gives us a contrast uh, in the Word of God. So the four things that you can jot down, God is eternal, um, and it, the comparison there is that He is alive, and He's always alive. He, he, there's no beginning to God, there's no end, He was not created, his life won't come to an end. He is eternal. That's a staggering thought. Um, we all know uh, that we aren't eternal in that sense, but God is eternal, uncreated. Secondly, He reigns. He's on a throne. He is reigning. He's a king. Imagine you believe that. Imagine you really believe that. And you lived in light of the fact that He's a king. <clears throat> Now, here in the United States, uh, you don't have a king um, or a queen. In England, uh, the queen just celebrated her jubilee. I don't know what it was. Was 70 years reign? Man, it's amazing. 70 years. I mean, people love her. You know, they love, love the queen. You know, it's symbolic. I get that uh, and all that. But, um, you know, they're aware of the queen. But here we're talking about the king of kings. He's exalted. He's high and lifted up. And then he's resplendent. Uh, he, his train, it fills up the temple. Again, it's, it's, it's imagery, it's pictures for us, uh, because those are helpful. Now, I don't know if I have something that I want to tell you here. Yeah, you can go back to this. We see in, in the first three verses that we'll look at, firstly, a sevenfold revelation, a sevenfold revealing of who God is. And it is centered on His holiness for sure. And Tozer says this too. Words alone cannot express holy. So God resorts to association, suggestion, and action. He gives you a picture to help you understand. Because you can't describe the holiness of God. You can't describe the character of God just with words. Okay, So that's kind of part of what's happening here. So let's go back to this. Let's read the verse again. It's an interesting beginning. In the year that King Uzziah died, that's about 740 or 739 BC. That's a long time ago. But the point is, King Uzziah was the, one of the longest reigning kings in the um, southern kingdom. And guess what? What does it tell us? His dead. But God is alive. You know, I'm getting older too. Um, and I realized one day I'm going to die and you know you know you look at these graveyards when i was young i never thought like this but i guess as i'm getting older i do and you're like you know like 
And then just the years just roll on. It's amazing. Um, you know, you can look back and um, I like to look at old pictures and, you know, you look at these like, man, where are those people? They're gone. They're dead. You know, but God continues to reign and rule. That's a massive picture. The year that King Uzziah died, what did he die of? Anybody know what he died of besides the students? Because they probably don't remember anyway, and, and I just don't want to know that they don't remember. Um, <coughs> yeah, well, what did they? What did he die of? Did he tell you? Oh, he doesn't remember. Thank you. Do you remember? <laughs> okay, all right. Anybody remember amongst the students? Leprosy. He died of leprosy. Okay. Uh, which is which is fairly somewhat common, but leprosy in the in in the Bible in the Old Testament particularly represents sin. It's a picture for us of sin. Now he was a good king, but he died. Eventually he dies. You know, one day you 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 think that you know one day I don't mean this to be morbid, but you'll die. But God reigns and reigns and reigns and reigns. Do you live in light of that? God can't die because He was never born. He's uncreated. I mean, it's just, these like, whoa, these are big thoughts for you to think. Like, how big is your God? That Those are some of the things that we need to think about. So here the contrast is, is given to us. Clearly in the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, I saw Him, I saw the Lord seated. He was seated on a throne. He was on a throne, and he's, it, it implies that he is reigning. Not only does he never die, and is he eternal, and he's alive, he is reigning, and he continues to reign. He was reigning back in 740 B.C. It's 2020 A.D., he, uh, 2022 A.D., and he's reigning still. He's still reigning. He's still on his throne. Do you live in light of that? Does that have any impact on your mingy little life because that's kind of what it is like a vapor right it's just we sometimes think we're really important but we're really not i'm not downing that we have great value to god and so on but like in the scope of things do you and i live in light of that it's something to think about and it's important because if you have a high view of god it will change your life like you know yeah, I'm not so much talking about salvation and, and coming to know the Lord. I'm thinking, you know the Lord. At least you know a lot about Him, but you live in light of that. Because Isaiah will see this and he'll never be the same again. Thirdly, it tells us here that not only was he seated on a throne, he was high and exalted. He was high and lifted up. That's what it means there. He, he is exalted. He's, in, he's high and lifted up. Looking up. Speaks of God's majesty his his position is god high and lifted up in your mind and heart do you live in light of that do you realize that he's the king and you're the servant i don't know i don't mean he's the king and you're the servant he's the king and you're the servant he's a good king though and then Fourthly, in verse 1, it tells us, and this is a picture for us here, that his robe, 
the train of his robe anyway, filled the temple. Uh, speaks of God being resplendent, the, the majesty and the, the greatness, all that implied here in the first verse. God is eternal, He reigns, He is exalted, and He is resplendent. Isaiah sees all this, he's like, oh wow, this is my God, that's your God. And then verse 2, we see these seraphs, these angels, worshipping and giving reverence to God. And, 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 and uh, they are around the throne and it. It communicates to us, fifthly, in verse 2, that God is to be revered. God is to be honored. God is to be respected. He's not your pal. He's not my pal. He's not your buddy. He's not like you. He's not equal to you. You and I, you and him aren't on the same level. But sometimes we treat him like that, and even lower, right? We get mad at him and we get frustrated because he didn't come through for us. Wow, is that the God of the Bible? Or is he just your buddy? You need him when you need him. He's, he's not there to do your bidding or my bidding. He is to be revered, respected, reverenced, worshipped. That's what the Bible tells us. Sixthly, verse 3, these seraphs that were around the throne, they were speaking and they were calling out to one another. They were declaring, holy, 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 in triplicate. This, this uh, if you like, attribute or description of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Three times they they say that out loud. It's it's repeated in the New Testament as well. That's the only time a uh, attribute of God is 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 three times mentioned. Holy, holy, holy. That that's a good study on its own. That's not what we're here for. But at least to think about that. God is holy. Is God holy to you? Do you ever consider that God is holy? And then it tells us in verse 3, and the whole earth is full of His glory. Full of His glory. That's amazing to think about. He is glorious. Now glory is a tough uh, um, term or, or a tough word to describe, but I think we get some of the um, sense of it, but it at least declares to us that God is full of glory. Full of glory. That's the first part. The character of God. And, and it's the main thing that I wanted to think for us to think through a little bit this morning. That's just simply what the, the text tells us this afternoon. I keep saying this morning, but um, this afternoon. God is eternal. He reigns. He's sovereign, resplendent, revered, holy, and glorious. Now, what comes to mind when you think about God? Any of those? Now... That's what the Word of God tells us, and it's important to, to go back to the Word of God to get a clear understanding on who God is. Um, let the Word of God tell you and, and teach you who God is. Now, the illustration we did in the beginning, remember when you were all talking, and that's kind of like, if, if you don't get quiet, you'll never know who God is. You'll just, just be loud, and you'll just carry on with your life, and you know kind of know him but you can know him i mean you can intimately know him however 
If you come to know the Lord, look at what follows in the text here in verses 4 and 5. Isaiah really is, seems to be, as it were, in the presence of the Lord. And he's in trouble. Because in verse 4 at least, we'll just stick this up here. Verse 4 really speaks to us of the wrath of God. Now, no one likes to talk about that much these days, but anyway. God's wrath is upon you and I if we're still in our sin. If we are not in Jesus Christ, God's wrath rests upon us. This morning, Mr. Nuremberg spoke about the fact that there's many millions of people have never even heard of the name of Jesus, let alone decided whether they want to believe or not. But here in verse 4, it describes to us this, this it's a picture of wrath. Um, that we need to consider at the sound of their voices, the door posts and the thresholds, they shook. And as he was looking, the temple began to be filled with smoke. That's not a good thing. And there was smoke coming. And uh, Isaiah sees this. He saw the Lord. Now he sees this because he begins to realize in comparison to who God is, I'm in trouble. God is a holy God. And hopefully that's had some effect on your life. That you realize that God is a holy God and that you you and I are not in and of ourselves acceptable to God. That God doesn't leave us in that condition. If you go on and you look at verse 5, you'll see two big words that are important for today, I guess. Conviction. And then confession. I want you to ask you the question. Have you ever had the Spirit of God convict you that you are wrong with God? That's important. That's really important. We don't like to be wrong, do we? We get very defensive when someone says that. Well, you said, no, I... We get very... But the Spirit of God will come and convict you of sin in order to make you right with God. Conviction is a wonderful gift of God. So in verse 5 and verse 6, we see these two, excuse me, verse 5, we see these two words, conviction and confession. And this is our condition. I mean, this is just how we are. We're under God's wrath. And if you read verse 5, you'll see Isaiah says, woe is me. Or or in other words, we, we don't really use that word, but we might say, oh no, I'm in big trouble. I'm wrong with God. <clears throat> now, if you might say, well, I don't really care. That's because you have such a low view of God. You have no idea who He is. It doesn't really matter to Well, who cares? That's, and that, that's fine. But that's because you have such a low view of God. He's beneath you. But if you have a right view of God, a biblical view of God, a heaven's view of God, and that's really important, um, then you would say the same thing. Oh, man, I'm in trouble. Oh, no. I'm going to be judged for my sin. Oh, no. Um, I'm unclean. I'm dirty. Oh, no. You're in big trouble if you and I are in the presence of the Lord. And and, and that's good. That's important that you you sense conviction. It's important that you realize that you're wrong with God. That's a good thing. It's necessary. God doesn't leave you there, but, but... you have to realize that you're a sinner in order 
to see that Jesus Christ can become your Savior. If you don't think you're that bad, why do you even need to be saved? I mean, these are obvious questions, but when you come into the presence of the true and the living God, you want to be right, you want to be clean, you want to be, um, again, having dealt with your sin. Now, I'll give you this illustration which we've given before here. But, you know, some of you, I went home after soccer, right? And I was like really hot. And I thought, I'm going to, I have to speak, so I have to be ready. I wanted to do the same thing so I could feel how you feel. I had a shower. Don't even tell me if you didn't have a shower. Hey, I wanted to, but my friend in there, he took so long. I know you probably all didn't have a shower. But if you didn't have a shower, right now you're sitting there, you kind of stink a bit, um, a little sticky. <laughs> But you get used to it after a while, and then it doesn't matter so much, right? That's like our sin. If you don't deal with it, you soon get comfortable with it, and then you just live with it, and it becomes a habit. Um, but again, dealing with your sin is being clean inwardly, not outwardly, as a shower would do. Um, but it's amazing how you know you can get comfortable with all that dirt on you and that sweat. I love going to the beach, and I, I don't mind. I love, you know, having been, you know, swimming in, 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 in the ocean, and you get the salt water on you, and then I just go to bed like that. It's like, oh, something like you sand on you, and it doesn't bother me at all. Because I, but, you know, again, you can get used to anything. And we can get used to living with our sin. And when the Lord convicts you, you're not bothered by it. Because you have a low view of God. It's not that big a deal. You've got more important things to work on. But if you see the Lord, if you have a right view of God, and you can, you can leave today when, when we finish in a moment or 10 minutes or so, and, you, and I want you to think about that. Like, what is my view of God? I, it's not just to, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or whatever. But, I, you know, it changed my life when I realized I could know God. And it's continuing to change my life. I want to know who He is. He is knowable. You can know Him. Not completely, but you can know Him. And you can make Him known to other people. And so this conviction, this confession in verse 5 he says, woe is me, I cried, I am ruined, or I'm, I'm, I'm as a dead man, some versions say. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes, they have seen the Lord. He says, woe is me, I am ruined. But he realizes he's unclean, and he's not right before the King, the Lord of hosts. And conviction comes. And then comes confession. What is confession? Confession is admitting you're wrong agreeing with God. You know, we live in a culture that saying sorry is about enough, but it's so weak. It's so um, diluted. You know, I remember, and I, I, I think about, I love sports, so, you know, Lance Armstrong, the cyclist, maybe I'm dating myself, I don't know. You know, he won seven Tour de France's. I believe today he won them. He won them fairly. He, he was abs- I mean, there's no way he could have cheated, right? There's no way. Because he's adamant about it. How could he have cheated so long and no, and then, no, no, and I believe him. And then he got caught. And he's sorry. 
He's not really sorry, but he's kind of sorry. I remember, my, again, you don't, probably don't know, I remember Michael Vick, he was a quarterback, and he, he promised, he promised the owner of the Atlanta uh, Falcons that he never did the, the um, you know, the, the dogs fighting. He, no, I ne- and then he, I'm sorry, I, I did it. Like, come on. Is that enough? Like, I believed him too. What I began to see now is, I remember that runner, I can't remember her name now, but she was a really good runner. Won some Olympic medals. Never, I never cheated at net. I'm sorry, I did. I'm like, oh, come on. Who can you believe anymore? Is sorry enough? It's not. And if you live your Christian life by just being sorry about something, um, it's not enough. You've got to first see conviction and then you've got to admit to God that you're wrong. Oh, Lord, please forgive me. Please meet me at my need. So many people diluted. I oh, well, I'm sorry. So I'm sorry doesn't cut it. Sorry's not good enough. You're sorry because you got caught. You're not sorry because you think you're wrong. And I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be. Well, I've used the word sorry. I'm not trying to be unkind here and harsh, you know. But I'm like, don't play games with God. Just be genuine with him. Be real. If you're struggling with things, if, if you know, you don't want to deal with your sin, tell him. Come, come as you are. Be honest with him. Because he wants to deal with your heart and with my heart. I, I, I'm looking out here and I don't see perfect people. You're looking at me and I promise you I'm not a perfect person. Far from it. I have lots of struggles. But I have a God who forgives me. But I've got to go to him. And I've got to admit that I'm wrong. And you know what? If I confess my sins, my, one of my favorite verses, 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, He is faithful and He is just, that's the character of God, to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. What a God. Do you know Him like that? In this passage, we see the provision of God. We see these burning coals. They're a picture for us of God's provision. Isaiah, remember, oh no, I'm, I'm as a dead man. I'm going to die. I'm a man of unclean lips. And then guess what? One of the seraphs comes along and brings these burning coals to him. God coming to Isaiah. And he puts these coals upon his lips. And verse 7 tells us, in the provision of God, He cleanses him. He says to him the very words, your guilt is taken away. It's a picture of what Jesus Christ can do for you. God knows we have a problem. God knows we, we, we are, as we hear every week, I think at church, sinners by, by nature and by choice. But God is such a good God that He goes before you and He provides the way that you and I can be clean. It's amazing. Provision. L- listen to this picture here. This is a picture of, of God's provision of salvation. Woe is me, He says, verse 5. And then He says, My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, verse 6. Then, then, at that point, then, when I was, when I was um, convicted and I confessed it, then, then, one of the seraphs flew to me, came to me with a live call. In his hand, which he had taken with throngs from the altar, he came to me 
with provision. And with it, verse 7, he touched my mouth and he said, see, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin has been atoned for. That's the gospel in the Old Testament. You know, in the New Testament, often you'll see different places and they open up the scriptures and they describe the, the um, they, they spoke about the gospel. They didn't have New Testament scripture. They're going back to these passages in Isaiah. Cleansing. Provision of God. And then I, I want to, you know, um, Matt Rogers is going to talk some about this. And I just want to touch on it briefly. But in 8 and 9, you see the purpose of God. He doesn't just save you so that you don't go to hell. That's good. You don't want to go to hell. But he saves you for a purpose. There's the negative side, but there's the positive side. You've been saved from your sin, but you've been saved unto God. That you can walk with God now. That you can know God. That you can serve Him. That you can join Him, as Mr. Nuremberg said this morning. There's the negative side of my sin, and I don't go to hell. I remember my friend down in, in Georgia I asked him, I said, so why did you get saved? What, what? I didn't want to go to hell. And that's good, but that's not enough. There's much more to it than that. When I, when I coached soccer at Hampton Park, they told me, you know, our philosophy here is that we don't let any goals in, then we never lose the game. I'm like, huh? How do you, like, so defensive. If we don't score against us, we don't lose. I'm like, well, what's the point of playing? Don't you play to score and win? And that's kind of like, to me, and I was told that by a number of different people at the school, like, you know, that's our goal. We don't want them to score on us. Like, so let's put 10 people in the back and, and a goalkeeper too, and they never score and then we never lose. And I'm like, that's kind of like negative salvation. My sins have been forgiven. It's true. I'm not going to go to hell. True. But there's so much more to Christianity. You can know God. You can walk with God. You can serve God. You can love God. You can declare God. You know why you were created? Who knows why they were created? It says in Isaiah, turn with me to chapter um, 43. Quickly, let's go there. We're running out of time. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Jonathan, can you read that for us? Isaiah 43, verse 7. Go ahead. Thank you. The middle part of that verse. I, whom I created for my glory. Did you know you were created for the glory of God? That's your high purpose. You were created with a purpose. Remember I told you when I was about seven or eight, like, why am I here? What's the purpose? One day, when I, after I came to know the Lord, I, I saw, like, oh, there it is. I was created to bring God glory. That's a wonderful thing. Now, what does that mean? That's part of the wonderful journey of learning what that means. Telling people about who the Lord is, truly who the Lord is, brings God glory. It, it declares Him. It, it magnifies Him. Your life, you were created in God's image. We heard that last night, right? You were created. Did you know that you were created with a purpose to glorify Him? That you can be, as it were, on this earth, a representation to some degree, of the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? Finally, in the application here, we'll, you know, mention this again, totally His. We heard that a few times last night, right? That was pretty awesome. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.15 is the key verse. 
Listen to, to this. This is talking, talking about you and me if you know the Lord. And He, Christ, died for all. That those who live, that's you. If you have new life in Jesus Christ, this new life, if you say, yes, I belong to Jesus Christ. Yes, I belong to God. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I want to follow Him. Then, then you have to realize that no longer do you live for yourself. Those that those who live might, this is a big word, I should have underlined that word, but I just, I didn't have time to do it, and I don't know how to make missing words, so sorry. Uh, I should have put some color there. Might! The potential is there for you. You might, you don't have to, but you might no longer live for yourself. Who do you live for? Who are you living for today? Who am I living for today? Every day I have to... To, to start the day, and it's not, not because I want to or because I don't want to, but, man, I can know the Lord today. And if the Lord is everything to me, if I'm coming to know the Lord, this naturally happens. The Christian life is, I'm just telling you, should be a life that flows. It's not always easy, and it's difficult at times. And God never promises that it will be simple and easy. But it is a life that should flow. Because if you're living in light of who God truly is, you will naturally live this way. That Christ died for me. Now, I'm not saying that you won't have selfish motivations and selfish thoughts and you won't sin and you won't struggle at times, but that will be your default to go back. Oh, I want to live for the glory of God. Don't you? If you don't, probably you have a very low view of God. You don't have a clue who He is. Because you live in a world that's so loud and just so hammering and so demanding and so controlling that you never get quiet to be with God. Imagine I told you there was a book that told you about who God is. Like, yeah, I want to know. There is. Our pastor told us, he, he teaches a, a high school Bible class. He told us that I had, did a quick survey in my class. I said, how long do you read, how, how much time do you spend reading your Bible a day? And I'm like, one minute. How much time do you spend on your phone? I'm not against phones, sorry. I'm not saying that, but five hours. No wonder we don't know God. You know, no wonder we don't. And He died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him, that is Christ, who for their sake, for your sake, Jesus died again, speaks of God's character, and was raised again. I don't know if I have another slide. No, I don't. But look at this. There's four, four questions I want you to think about as we end here. I want you to read Isaiah 6, 1-9 again. Just find somewhere quiet where you can go. And ask yourself, what stands out most regarding his character? And then ask this question to yourself briefly. What is the condition of your heart right now before a holy God? Where is your heart? Thirdly, ask yourself this question. Have I taken refuge from God in God? That's also a quote by Toza. What that means is, I'm under the wrath of God and there's nowhere else to go but Christ. Christ died for you. He died for me. And He took on Himself the wrath of God. And you can ask yourself, how much does God love me? And you can put out your arms and you can see Christ on the cross that much.
I take refuge from God because He will judge sin in God, in Christ. Ask yourself that question. Have you taken, have you come to that point? Honestly, be honest. And then lastly, ask yourself this question. How are you walking in the purposes that God created you for? And I put that verse there for you again, Isaiah 43, uh, 7. I created you for my glory. How, how are you actually doing that? Or are you? I don't know. I never really thought about it. I mean, not to be uh, you know, repetitive, but hey, it might be good to think about it. It might be good to think and to consider it. All right, so I'm going to pray. And then if you, you got like 15 minutes to find somewhere quietly, take your Bible and uh, go ahead. And then you have a 15-minute break till uh, you know, go find somewhere quiet for 15 minutes. It's 15-minute break. And then at 3.30, uh, you'll get together uh, to talk about what you heard this morning and perhaps what you heard just now in the dorm talks, okay? So at 3.30, you've got a 30-minute dorm talk. So let's pray. Father, we trust ourselves to you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God, a God who, who speaks. And at times, um, oh Lord, you, you convict that we might be right with you that we might see, that our eyes might be opened. Oh, Lord, help us to live for a, more than ourselves. Oh, Lord, help us to live for why we were created, why you made us. I think we all would agree that you made us. Why? Oh, Lord, we come and ask you. Um, show us what that means. We thank you for the provision in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are revealing and making known who you are. Oh, Lord, give us that desire to know you. And we come and trust you with this time now in Jesus' name.